Pleasure, another episode of the Joker Character Study Series from Mike, Mike, and Oscar. The music becomes more appropriate the closer we get to Halloween, and we're back. Welcome to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar, and you are in here for another episode of the Joker Character Study Series, and this is the big one, covering Heath Ledger from The Dark Knight. This is MMO, and this is the fourth weekend of September 2019, 74 years to the weekend of the debut of what would be the fourth highest grossing film of 1945, <laughs> the Oscar-winning and original Mildred Pierce, starring Joan Crawford. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also, Mike. Mike, you have experience with Mildred Pierce. I watched the Kate Winslet miniseries, and it was good. It was very good. It was Emmy-worthy. It was, it was that level, and uh, we're talking about an awards-worthy property today. That's why I went no the question. Oscar route this time yeah. instead of the like Beverly Hills Cop 3 route. Yeah, you kind of <laughs> neg these often, and today this is a little more appropriate. But, Mike, we have so much to go over. This is a huge one. We are destined to do this forever. Yeah, this is going to be an 18-hour episode, no doubt. For, for those of you who have not joined us for a Joker character study series episode of the past, just to give you a quick rundown of what to expect in this episode we are reviewing the most notable the most famous the most notorious portrayals of the clown prince of crime throughout pretty much any medium we did start off this series by going over the joker's portrayal in the likes of different comic books in the likes of different video games in the likes of lesser known television series but we are also dedicating an episode each to the most notable and most famous portrayals of the clown prince of crime through television and movies we started off with caesar romero from the batman original series the original adam west television series which had a movie as well back in the 60s as well as going through mark hamill's portrayal from the animated series jack nicholson's portrayal portrayal from the Tim Burton Batman movie today. We're doing Heath Ledger's portrayal. Mm. We will be doing Jared Leto's portrayal as well. All of this leading up, of course, to Joaquin Phoenix's new Joker movie, which comes out next week, amazingly. And the format of these episodes, per usual, will have a non-spoiler and a spoiler section. So if you've not seen The Dark Knight, you probably weren't born in 2009. Who are you? <laughs> Do we want to meet those? No, I, I, I think this is a movie that uh, scared some people back in 2008. It's it might have point, scared yeah. some people away. It was a sad situation. We're going to get into sure. all of that. So let's get into it. No more ado. Uh, like Mike said, big episode today. So The Dark Knight was released wide on July 18th, 2008, and went on to gross over a billion dollars worldwide. Critically, it received an 84 Metascore, a 94 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Mike, over 287 critics included it in their top tens of 2008, with 77 of them having it as their number one. It was my number one as well. Yeah, it ranks very high on any kind of top whatever list and still top 100 movies list of, of all time, and you could see it there as well. Six months before the film's release, however, Heath Ledger did tragically die of a prescription drug overdose, so the film of course was dedicated to him. As for the awards, the film received eight Academy Award nominations with with two wins, one of which went to Heath Ledger in that Best Supporting Acting category. It's the first posthumous, I always say that word wrong, mm -hmm. posthumous, posthumous Oscar given to an actor since 1976's Peter Finch won for Network. Mike, you want to run down a quick bibliography for all the research that you specifically have done for this episode? Well, six major sources. Uh, there was a Looper article, How Playing the Joker Changed Heath Ledger, written by Dean 
Rivola. There was an Up Rocks uh, one where it was about the story behind Heath Ledger's Joker transformation by Christian Long. 2017's documentary, I Am Heath Ledger. I had seen that previously, sure. and I watched clips before this recording today. IGN also did an awesome video, How Heath Ledger's Joker Was Born. That was written by Scott Calera, narrated by Clint Gage. And Margaret Maurer's Screen Rant article, 15 behind-the-scenes secrets about Heath Ledger's Joker. Those are the main things I went to that just gave me enough. Like, I was ready to research this thing for, like, four days straight. It's a really fascinating story. I still researched it for, like, two days straight. And Wikipedia had an awesome write-up as well. Donate to them. I'm so tired of the bad-mouthing of Wikipedia. They're awesome. Yeah, they really are on top of their stuff for the last, I don't know, six years or so? Yeah, they helped us thread it all together. So... Let's get into character. Let's do it. So here's the non-spoiler section, getting into character. Getting into character. Mike, Christopher Nolan gave the writers, his brother Jonathan, who he calls Jonah, I guess, Jonathan Nolan and David S. Goyer, the original 1940s comics, which is cool because that Joker was heavy. Sure. In, 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 Especially in its, at the time, yeah. In, for his origin there. He gave them the 1988 graphic novel, The Killing Joke, another heavy Probably Joker. Probably the heaviest portrayal of him in the comics. And the 1996 comic series, The Long Halloween. He also told his brother to watch Fritz Lang's 1933 film, The Testament of Dr. Mabuse. Mabuse? Mabuse? It's gotta be Mabuse right? My boss! <laughs> In order to write the Joker's character. Yeah, Paul Bettany, Adrian Brody, Steve Carell, and Robin Williams mm. initially went after the role, but obviously so did Heath Ledger. He loved Batman Begins of 2005, and when his agent Steve Alexander told him that they're casting the sequel, Heath responded, quote, just get me in a room with Christopher Nolan, and he badly and immediately wanted to play the Joker. So Nolan said Heath impressed him immediately from the start. He got what they were trying to do, and after casting him, Christopher Nolan suggested Ledger research a bunch of things. We're going to talk about them throughout this section. The first of which I want to talk about was heavy metal music and the Mm. music world. Ledger says he based the performance on Sid Vicious in many ways from the Sex Pistols. Interesting. But if you ask fans, they think Ledger was doing Tom Waits. Like, the real Tom Waits, Mike. Like, if you watch interviews of Tom Waits, the Joker is a lot like the real Tom Waits. Mr. Pocket. Uh, Now, according to legend and Heath Ledger, he spent six weeks preparing for the role in a hotel. Mm. Uh, There were rumors that he was in complete isolation, only leaving the hotel to visit mental institutions and interview serial murderers. My lord. But the documentary, I Am Heath Ledger, seemed to paint a different picture. Here, friends visited often, and Heath was focused and immersed, but still having fun. Yeah, there was a story from one of Heath's childhood friends that seemed to be visiting him while he was spending time in this hotel room, uh, Nifa Forster Jones, he said uh, they were walking down the street and Heath just spontaneously broke out into the how I got these scars, why so serious monologue and then seeing his friend's odd reaction, Heath just like laughed at him and said, hey, just don't tell anybody. So family and friends talked throughout this documentary about how the fact they never saw him happier, especially with his work that when he was playing the Joker, he knew he was going to nail this role. He was so excited about the fact uh, that that he was taking it in this direction. In any event, Ledger used his method acting powers to discover the character's posture, walk, look, and voice while at the that hotel, the uh, infamous hotel. Of course, I mean this is this is like legendary stuff. Like Doesn't you go. Like- 
like a Mary, no Mary Kate and Ashley's room was where he was found dead. I'm I actually. wonder if he yeah. chose ro- the room fourteen oh eight or chose the room two thirty seven. I mean, I, what was the number of that room? I need to know six six six. Oh God! Uh, to help himself, Heath wrote the Joker's Diary, a now legendary journal that should wind up in the Academy Museum someday. This diary is filled with ramblings from the POV of the Joker, sketches of clowns, and many stills from the Nolan recommended A Clockwork Orange, where Ledger incorporated the famous Kubrickian stare Malcolm McDowell's character does by tilting his head down and staring out the top of his eyes, which plays a big role within the Dark Knight movie. It's an iconic look for me, the iconic look (laughs) for me. And I I noticed it from the first screening. I was like, he's looking out of the top of his eyes a lot in this movie. That's on purpose. I wonder where he got it from. That's where he got it from. (laughs) Mike, the Oscar-winning makeup artist of Dick Tracy, John Caglione Jr., said he was intimidated by the Jack Nicholson look of the character. It was so pristine. You know, all the lines were clear. And he said that, like, he really struggled with the early tests of this makeup, he said it took the paintings of Francis Bacon given to him by Nolan to convince him to blur the character, to nasty the character up, to filthy him up. And Ledger was on board with this as well. I don't think Ledger bathed much in those six weeks. I think they knew they were going to, you know, rough him up here. Yeah, and there was a fun fact here to quote the IGN video, quote, it was also a Francis Bacon painting that Nicholson's Joker spared in the museum sequence of Tim Burton's Batman. I love this. So Caglione and Ledger ask questions like, what would it be if this guy slept in his makeup? What if he didn't spruce it up every Mm. two or three weeks? What if he doesn't change his clothes, period? And I'm sure Ledger lived out all these things. That said, though, I want that purple suit he's wearing. It was a good suit. It's a little high on the shoulders, I would say. Yeah. It, which was strange to me. Like, he doesn't have much of a neck in that, that suit, but it, it's great. I think that's purposeful, though. I think so, yeah. too. They even drew from old-time Hollywood and old theater techniques, Mike. Uh, for example here, Ledger wanted the makeup to be uneven, so he would scrunch up his face when they applied ah, it. And then Cag- Yeah, Caglione would shadow and accentuate all those, like, artificial crow's feet. Uh, they also decided on big black circles around Heath's eyes as reminiscent of old Charlie Chaplin. Chaplin villains. Yeah, you can see the the painting on this, the face painting. Jax is very covering and like a, a fresh coat of paint. Mm. And Ledger's is like as if a killer wanted to hide his scars and he went around like a madman wearing face paint. Just slap it on to have a little base cover and that's it. Uh, as for the lip smacking, dialect coach Gary Grinnell says he licked his lips a lot so the prosthetic didn't become unstuck. This is so weird for me, Mike, because this is not the urban legend. No, the urban legend is Heath Ledger learned it from studying serial murderers, but as Ledger's acting coach tells it, the prosthetics would often fall off if his tongue wasn't continually pressing them onto his bottom lip. So there's that story found out. I- I'm learning a lot of new things in this yeah. research. I, I, always I did not know that. Yeah, I had no idea that he was just doing that because of necessity. He didn't want to go in the makeup chair for an hour at a time. Anyway, Ledger was a renowned method actor by this time in his career, but he didn't go full method for The Dark Knight, Mike. Uh, In between takes, it was said that he was not in character, that he would often joke around with the crew, and that he would even ride around on a skateboard in between setups. Almost actually the opposite of like what Jared Leto would do in Suicide Squad. The opposite, no question. 
question. Uh, another tactful maneuver on Ledger's part was that he didn't go full Joker for the rehearsals. Apparently, he wanted to strike fear into his co-stars on camera and saved much of what he was going to do. Uh, go and listen to the Michael Caine and cast members being interviewed about that. It's absolutely priceless. Yeah, Ledger also pushed himself physically for this role, Mike. During a fight scene with Batman, Christian Bale was on record that he literally threw himself around the room in between takes. He's denting the windows, the glass, the tiled walls, trying to incite Bale to actually hit him and not pull his punches. Bale was against this. I don't know who won out. I, I didn't... I don't know if I found it, but he, Heath wanted the realism. So he may not have been method behind the scenes, but he was method when the camera was rolling at Scarily all times. So. Yeah, Scarily right. so. Uh, Heath Ledger also managed to surprise himself with some newly formed improv skills in this role, something that director Ang Lee of Brokeback Mountain said Heath did not like to do when they were filming that in 2005. Right, he was upset at how Jake Gyllenhaal was a natural at it, and he was so method, so that was very against what he wanted to do. But in this shoot, Mike... Joker's found footage terrorist videos, you know, the ones that they used for the media here. Nolan was so impressed at how Ledger basically, you know, gave a new and unique performance for each and every take. And he was also impressed with how, you know, he operated the handheld camera here that, you know, going into the second video shoot, Nolan's like, all right, Heath, you just do it. So Heath actually directed pieces of this film. The the whole shot... Um, the whole scene with Anthony Michael Hall hanging upside mm -hmm. down, that was Heath Ledger directing. Yeah, and the movie is better off for it because that camera just terrifies. Mm. Even now, watching this for like the 18 billionth time that I did, that mm. camera scene terrifies me. It's scary The stuff. way he's holding, just so in his face and he's shaking. Oh, my God. Uh, this was no accident, obviously. From the documentary, I am Heath Ledger. We learned that Heath always wanted to become a director makes sense. His yeah. agent said that when Heath wasn't needed on set, he'd go there anyway just to watch Nolan direct. Uh, Ledger's father said that Heath always had a camera, even from a young age, and at the time of his death, it said that Ledger was developing an adaptation of The Queen's Gambit by Walter Tevis to be his feature film directorial debut. It's very sad yeah. what could have been there. Uh, one of the overriding sentiments in that documentary, though, Mike, uh, came from his dialect coach again, Jerry Grinnell. He said... A lot of people would like to think that like this was like a strenuous process for Heath, but Heath would come off set and he said that we, we would have a lot more fun than was respectable. And this is not what you'd think. Like you would think the opposite what we're going to go into now. Yeah, there were urban legends at the time. I remember that like upon his death, not so much when he was actually preparing for the role, there was the whole he locked himself in isolation in the hotel room. He did keep this journal. It was considered very dark and depressive. And there was a, another legend that he would watch uh, Clockwork Orange on repeat until right. he found the rape and murder scenes humorous. Oh. It seems to not be jiving with what people in direct contact him was saying about his preparation for this role. And what he said about it. Yeah, in fact, Heath went on record saying, quote, it was the most fun I've had with a character. Hands down, creatively, it was too good to be true. And to confirm this, on that documentary, sister Kate Ledger stated he was having fun, he wasn't depressed about the Joker. So, yeah, Ledger's death gets blamed on the Joker right. in many ways. Who knows what's true? We're going to get into the other side of this argument now, Mike, because apparently Ledger had also been on the record that he struggled with insomnia and michelle williams confirmed this uh after death as well as you know other actors that he worked with uh heath himself told the new york times in a profile in 07 that at the time he was only averaging two hours a night that pills like ambien like 
yeah, the pills like Ambien didn't do anything for him, and that, yeah, his chronic insomnia kind of worsened during the Dark Knight. Remember Jack Nicholson's comments to the press? We covered this in the Nicholson episode, but remember, Nicholson went on to say, I warned him after Heath's death. Very foreboding and ominous. Mm. These comments would be recontextualized for us in this study, Mike, because apparently only days after his original comment, yeah. Jack explained it as saying when he visited Heath's hotel room to talk about the Joker, Jack saw those pills and said he warned Heath about them because he knew uh, those pills. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, it's very sad. And honestly, Mike, that makes more sense. Why would you say I told you so after, you know, somebody dies unexpectedly? Who's that callous? Doesn't seem like a Doesn't, jack thing to do. But no, yeah, no, yeah. And, and nobody would right. do that to the media and then just walk away. Right. So th this makes a lot more sense. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. Anyway, Ledger was said to have been trying to differentiate his role from Nicholson uh, while at that ho hotel room. He was quoted in saying that... It, it was important to try and find a somewhat iconic voice and laugh, and he really couldn't get away from the Nicholson laugh and the Nicholson voice for a while there, but that quote, I ended up landing more in the realm of a psychopath, someone with very little to no conscience towards his acts. According to Nolan, Ledger had been studying ventriloquist dummies, Mike, to get this to happen, uh, because he found those voices terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, that's because he was a human being. <laughs> they are terrified. Uh, we can certainly understand why this kind of role would worsen a person's insomnia. Heath himself stated, it is a physically and mentally draining role and that his Joker is a psychopathic, mass-murdering, schizophrenic clown with zero empathy and there's a bit of everything in him. There's nothing that's consistent. So there are two sides to every coin. Did the role of the Joker play a part in his death? Who are we to really say? But we learned a lot from this study, certainly in the mindset that he had in playing this character. And it was refreshing to relearn that I am Heath Ledger argument from the family. I remember hearing that back in the day, but I, I didn't really buy it. It was much more convincing this time around, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, it's certainly uh, shine a light on some stuff that maybe we all didn't know, I would think. I was certainly in the little dark on a lot of it as well. The urban legends were just so prominent mm -hmm. at the time. So let's get into some historical significance, though, Mike. The historical significance! Okay, the biggest thing that I wanted to start off with was there is a lack of an origin story here. And a Christopher Nolan quote really summarizes this. He says, the Joker we meet in the Dark Knight is fully formed, Mike. To me, he's talking to you, to me, the Joker is an absolute. There are no shades of gray to him, maybe shades of purple. But I'm bump. He's unbelievably dark. He burst in just as he did in the comics. I think that adds certainly to the motif of his maniacalism, which I think is a word I just made up. That's a good word, uh, though. If you're going to make up a word, <laughs> maniacalism is interesting. He's not... I don't buy the fact that this is an unhinged lunatic. I think this is a very cold and calculating person, if he's a person. We're going to talk about it. I think there's a gulf between insane and criminally insane. Like a Shh. gulf of whatever. Well, I think... I, think the, the, I mean, maybe the, the gulf, I think, is between, like callous and uncaring because i think he cares very deeply about what he's doing he just doesn't care about the consequences of them if that makes sense that does make a little sense yeah. we're, we're gonna get there i also want to mention that heath ledger is on record you know to his family and friends talking about how he wanted to do the next movie so bad that he had a ton of ideas that he wanted to get into the joker's origin story more in that movie that would have been something. i mean there's all kinds of of what ifs from this tragedy oh. that was his death, but certainly one of the biggest ones because this is such an iconic performance. 
he was planned to be brought back or at least referenced or at least have some kind of role in that third Dark Knight movie. That's the rumor that's been around Hollywood since his death. So I could have totally talked about recontextualizing, could have changed that entire trilogy's ending as well. And who knows where we'd be right now with this property. I can't imagine. Would we have gotten eight movies right. with him? I, it would have been something. Right. Maybe Christopher Nolan keeps doing them. Maybe he directs one. You maybe, know? I mean, who knows? Maybe Heath Ledger directs number four or something like that. Right. Absolutely. Another main thing I want to talk about is, that, like an unreliable narrator, Mike, the Joker is basically lying through it's his so teeth. So great. <laughs> and his dialogue is full of so much subtext. And when you rewatch it, you're realizing where he's basically trying to lead these lambs to slaughter. And basically, as a strategist, he's just several moves ahead of the heroes, of the other villains on that chessboard because he's going to get his wins here in this movie. And oh, I certainly. thought that was fascinating. He's arrogant, too. Yeah. I mean, he just lies to these other criminals because he knows he's above them and they are not on his playing field. Other characters think they have him pegged, Mike. Right. And even like Alfred's, you know, big speech thinks he, he, it has him pegged. Sure. But that's a little bit of a misdirection, too, because there's more to him. Mm-hmm. There's more to him. He's a mastermind and he wants very specific things, mm-hmm. not just what Alfred was saying. This Joker also has incredible weaknesses. And I think this was something you were kind of touching on earlier. He is suicidal, he has a death. Death wish. I mean, he's very lucky in this film on many occasions, but even though he's kind of given himself outs and playing the odds and controlling things, he does allow all this risk to factor in. And at any moment, and there's literally like five different times in the movie that I'm going to talk about in spoilers, he could have been killed. You know, yeah, for the most part, and yet he needs to like find the gumption in the biggest game of chicken that the movie has. <laughs> to, he's like talking himself into being ready for death. Right. So it's not like he's totally willing to just die at any moment. I don't feel like that. He's I feel willing like to he's gotta talk himself up to it. Purpose. Right, though. exactly. Because he knows his death in this circumstance gives him the ultimate win. It completes his plan. Yeah, he's at the end of seven there. Anyway, I'm, I'm spoiling a lot of shit today. <laughs> Usually it's you. You're spoiler Magoo, but I am kind of, in a weird way, spoiling shit. I'm sorry. But look, I mean, the Joker is provoking force that is just stronger than him, and he speaks to that throughout this movie. Mike, is this a real depiction of a psychopath, a sociopath? I don't know the classifications That's here. That's above our pay grade. I don't know if I want to, yeah. uh, but, but the obvious weakness that he has is something that Will Graham says to Hannibal Lecter in Red Dragon, Mike. And and when, you know, the first moment that they meet, I think in that film where he's just like, you had disadvantages because Hannibal's like, how'd you catch me? You had disadvantages. <laughs> what disadvantages? You're insane. And the Joker is a little bit nutty, let's just say. Sure. I think you could put him somewhere in that big book of psychology diagnoses or whatever well, somewhere. you know, when you blow up a hospital. Yeah. <laughs> Good God. But back to his improv skills, Mike, which I think made the performance so rich, like, his acting coach, Jerry Grinnell, remembers a great story in the doc about how Heath was just shocked when he walked on set for when the Joker crashes a certain party that Bruce Wayne was sure. showing here. And Heath said to his acting coach, uh, this feels like walking onto a stage. I wasn't prepared for this many people. How do I play this? And Jerry said to him, well, you're a psychopath. They're your toys. You played with your toys. And I think this is crazy to think about a superhero movie at this time going in this direction going for this realism to me that is the most historically significant factor here this is real shit well talking about improvisation skills as well it's very famous that 
the explosion, the biggest explosion of the movie. Well, had, yeah, obviously it's a one taker. When it didn't go off, I mean that whole the 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 him hitting the button, nothing happening, and then his playing with the remote was all improv- really? improvisation. How do I not there was know a delay that? on the explosion. Yeah, it's a, did I know that in two thousand nine? Have forgotten it. Probably. And now it's just giving me so much joy <laughs> yet again. Which is this whole experience, by the way. We love this yeah, experience. This, mo- uh, this movie is spectacular. So two two final things here. We're going to elaborate more on spoilers. The darkest comedy ever from the Joker, I would say. Almost all of his jokes involve homicide, where you're kind of starting to laugh, Mike, and then you're like, Jesus, uh, I can't really laugh because that guy's dead or he's threatening to kill this person or I I know he's building up to a gag, but it's going to end in death. My I watched this through a whole new lens because I always thought he was just this unhinged psychopath like Devil May Care. Right. You could tell he does care. He's very in the moment, and he just does things for his own character's humor. Right. Which provides a whole new lens to watch. Like, like he does not give a shit about anyone's reaction but his own. He's the ultimate comedian. Look, He'll do things as long as he thinks they're funny. It's just that what he thinks is funny is deranged. I think as mainstream comedians go, like, he needs to work on his punchlines, <laughs> but his setups are just mwah, perfect. Like, they're hilarious. Right. The punchlines usually end in somebody dying. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty horrible. That's a risk of the industry, I guess. He, but he, you know, he's drawing from Jack a little bit. He's a homicidal artist. My God. And then, like we said before, Mike, the shaky camera found footage. Absolutely love that. That manipulation of the media is very of the time with the found footage genre taking hold. And it's also just terrifying in this movie yeah yeah the only other thing i'll land on before we get into the spoiler section of this uh, review here is that the historical significance of this character is what he's done to every halloween since 2009 yeah. or 2008 when this movie came out i mean tell me we threw a uh a halloween party in, in college how many jokers year. were there yeah it was uh, there was one kid that looked just and it was creepy as shit because he was just standing there not talking how many did i take pictures because i was batman <laughs> yeah, it was, it's true i forgot about that yeah i forgot about that so <laughs> This costume has been everywhere. Maybe the most famous Halloween costume ever. Credit to Heath Ledger for making that costume come to life. That's not bullshit, by the way, folks. That might just sounded like a really good improv for me. I literally dressed <laughs> yeah, no, up as true. Batman. That's I actually bought, what happened. I bought the 1989 mask. It was like 40 or 50 bucks. It was, was the it most really? expensive part of it. I still have it somewhere. I don't know where. It was a Michael Keaton mask where I couldn't move my neck. It was great. I loved it. But that's the historical significance. That's all the non-spoiler stuff of this performance of Heath Ledger's portrayal. Uh, let's get into some spoiler stuff, and we'll talk about uh, where he started in this movie and what made this performance work. Spoilers ahead! Then you let Dent take your place. Even to a guy like me, that's cold. Where's Dent? Those mob fools want you gone so they can get back to the way things were. But I know the truth. There's no going back. You've changed things. Forever. Then why do you want to kill me? (laughs) I don't don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Go back to ripping off mob dealers? No, no. No. This is a spoiler warning. This is the spoiler section for the Joker character study series episode of Heath Ledger's portrayal of the Clown Prince of Crime from the movie The Dark Knight back in 2008. If you've not seen this movie, you probably don't watch movies, so you're probably not listening to this podcast, (laughs) but uh, this is a good place to pause. Go see it and do go see this movie, and we'll be here waiting for you when you come back. But otherwise, all spoilers all the time. Different segments. We'll start with The Secret Spice and What Made It Work. The Secret Spice, or What Made It Work. (laughs) The Joker in this movie is right out the gate. I mean, 
legendary opening scene, yes. right, with a bank robbery my, scene. I can't, it I still gives me chills. I'm supposed to kill the bus driver, and then bang, and then the bus comes crashing through. Awesome. He could have gotten killed right there. I mean, he could have gotten killed before that when the mob banker kind of goes rogues and starts shooting yeah. back. I mean, he was putting himself in the thick of it. Mike. Sure, this is not a guy that's uh, afraid of bullets, certainly, or to be around somebody that's bigger and stronger than him. But let's talk about what made this character work and what Heath Ledger's portrayal, why it's so legendary. We obviously talk about all the preparation that went into it. And that's the easy answer to this. Like, Ledger's performance is what makes this character work. And I know that's an easy answer to say, but maybe the most deserved Oscar acting performance of the new millennium he's working with a good script i, I read it back in the day and it, it's awesome it's it's different than the movie but it's still very good all that being said like this character is so dimensional mike i mean we talked about the fact that he's got grand plans and we're going to get into his evil deeds mm -hmm. but he is also a guy like operating with a death wish i mean he's willing to fight the batman at the party and only narrowly escape he wants batman to kill him after this truck flips over and they have that standoff with chicken he gives harvey two-face the gun and is basically having fun as harvey flips the coin with that russian roulette kind of situation and he does have a larger plan that does end with a final fist fight with Batman and he could be killed in that somehow and he almost is. I mean, it's crazy because he's like this character in Seven, but he's also this guy at any point he can just go suicide by cop, suicide by, by vigilante. But to me, it's all calculated. And that's the, the way Ledger was portraying this, yeah. too. Nothing is, like, off the handle, and he's never out of control. He's very manipulative and very in the moment. And he's not just laughing at everything. Like, he can't be called a freak. He takes great offense to being referred to as a freak. He Even does. Even in the first scene with that meeting of all the crime family heads when, they're, when he's trying to say a guy like me, and Michael Jai White says freak, and he, like, Ledger's staring a hole through him for how dare you say that. The way Ledger... I'm run. not. Yeah. Oh my goodness. The way he runs that whole room in that scene, it's one of my favorite all time in terms of villain appearances, even though he introduced himself a little bit before that. It, it literally just gives me chills to this day. I watched it three times for this pod, Mike. It escaped Every me the, fir the first like thousand times I watched this movie because I always thought this Joker was just a madman, but that is not the case at all. He's very... I mean, he's a madman in that he doesn't care. He's willing to... Sac I mean, he's almost like a cult leader. He's willing to yeah. sacrifice himself for the greater yeah. good. Yeah. But what his version of the greater good is anyway. But he's not at all like, I'm just flying by the seat of my pants. He has very well thought out and orchestrated plans to the extent that he's always in control of what the narrative and what's going on in his life. He doesn't like being called a freak. My God, when he says, I'm not, and is staring through Michael J. White. Oh. I know it's such a small scene, but... And then the way he leaves that scene is he introduces the grenades that are under his coat. And he says, listen, when you guys are all calmed down, we can talk about this. I'll leave you my card. <laughs> the card is a playing card of the Joker. And like, why would he do that? Is it because he's crazy? No, it's because it makes him laugh. He thinks that's funny. It's a joke. And he's <laughs> playing up everybody's perception of him right. that he is insane. And yet he definitely has high capability and he's super functional like a Hannibal Lecter, like a mastermind. Absolutely. And this movie is totally the opposite of some of the portrayals of Joker that we've seen. Yes. As that comic relief character like Cesar Romero. Even, you know, Mark Hamill's character to an extent, he's easily foiled. Mike, everything in this movie, like Christopher Nolan puts it, is about escalation. And every single death trap that Joker has here is just increasingly dangerous and involves more and more death 
And I, I can't get over how freaking ballsy this movie is. Yeah, and to that extent, not only can he play very, very the darkest dark humor ever, mm-hmm. not only can he play calculating and manipulative and offended, but he can play terrifying, like truly scary. And I think that's no more better shine than when he is holding the camera and those scenes that Heath Ledger did end up directing. He's having the clo- the Blair Witch type close-ups to himself and alternating the camera between himself. I mean, he's making a grown man weep at what is about to happen to him, and he's laughing in the face of this guy, shoving a camera in his face because he's going to get joy out of killing him. For the real Batman, it's absolutely terrifying, and I think it's exacerbated. Is that the right word? I think so. That hurts. I th- <laughs> <It's> a word. <laughs> I think it's only enhanced by right. how creepy he is in daylight. I mean, a lot of his creepiest moments are in broad daylight or in this, you know, the gala, the Bruce Wayne party, or he's out just in the open during the daytime, yep. and he's still terrifying. His makeup is that much scarier under, oh, yeah. under the bright Agreed. lights or under the sun. And this was a deliberate choice by Christopher Nolan. He said that he wanted Batman to rule the night and Joker to rule the day in this movie. He said he wanted their collisions. And he's like calling him. He wanted him to be half dark, half light. At the fundraiser party, it opens up in the light. It ends in the dark. When the interrogation happens, Mm -hmm. it starts in the dark. It ends in the bright lights of that interrogation room. And even the truck sequence begins at dusk and turns into night. I think that is a a, a crazy take. It reminds me of Midsummer, Mike. Yeah. I absolutely I co-signed that and I look anybody can be creepy or you're at least your performance is helped and enhanced by the shadows mm. and the darkness but I mean he's taunting the guy that's working the door at the Gotham City Police Department saying hey you want to know how many of your friends are really cowards I can tell you because you really see your true self when you have your ni- a knife stuck into your chest and he's like openly taunting this guy with the <laughs> brightest and harshest lights shining right on him and he's saying the most the scariest stuff a human can say to another person. It's so detailed, Mike, and it's so friggin' peculiar. Yeah, absolutely. And you put putting bright lights on that kind of a performance that is that nuanced, it's, it's genius by Nolan. And it's totally different from the other Joker portrayal because this isn't Jack morphing mm-hmm. into the Joker. This isn't like we see the Joker, it's Jack with face paint. This is the Joker kind of absorbing Heath Ledger. Yeah. I do wonder, because of how much of that shines through on film, if that did play some kind of role, ultimately, in the actor's demise, unfortunately. I, I mean, obviously, we'd say, who knows and who are we to say? But I, you can't help but think that because of how much this character just took over him on screen. The amount of acting done here, like, if you're pre-planning all of this, and I know he was very you know good at the improv right. for this movie, but if you're pre-planning all of this for six weeks... You're not going to sleep well because the, the, yeah. the, the depths you got to go, I mean, it makes sense. And he had the racing mind syndrome and all that. And it's it's extremely sad. And and the doctors shouldn't have prescribed him those things together. Everybody knows that, even though they were exonerated for not doing anything criminal. Because I think he got some pills from overseas doctors and some pills from American doctors. <sighs> they didn't know. And there was a big investigation on it. But I agree. Ledger is unrecognizable from his other movies, and this Joker is unrecognizable from other Jokers. So whenever you do something new like that, that is a secret spice right there, Mike. What made this thing work? Everything that we're talking about has made it work. I, I, I co-sign how you added it at the beginning of this segment, too, though. This Joker only works with a realistic and gritty Gotham, yeah. and that's what Nolan's script kind of laid the basis for uh so those things work hand in hand but again if i'm going to lay credit for this character at one person's feet 
definitely Heath Ledger. It's Heath Ledger. Obviously. Yes. Uh, let's talk about what the evil deeds were that the Joker did here. How evil were my deeds? <laughs> All right, Mike, for two guys who whine a whole bunch when themes and expository information are monologued to us, we sure seem to be okay with Michael Caine's Alfred intimating that Heath Ledger's Joker is someone who just wants to watch the world burn. But that is such an intriguing, fascinating Very story, misleading. wasn't it? Yeah. And, and it's not. It, it's not exactly Joker no. in this movie. It's not what he wants. He and wants it's a shame to... it's remembered that way, too. Because obviously there's that parallel. That's how people, the regular moviegoers, are right. going to put those two pop culture references together because they have permeated their way through our conversations. And you know, someone who just wants to watch the world burn—that's become its a language unto True. itself about people. But Joker essentially thwarts that story later on, where he's he's like pretending to be the mad dog that doesn't know what he would do if he caught the car that he was right. chasing. He makes a joke out of it, and he, he but he has much more diabolical ends. Mm -hmm. That's what Joker was. He's misleading. He's mischievous. He's deceitful, and he's disgusted with how Batman has strangled off the majority of crime in Gotham and demanding that the city deserves a better class of criminal. Uh, this Joker puts various evil plans in motion that are equal parts calculated manipulative and very loud uh joker are, robs yeah. <laughs> a mob controlled bank to start the film in order to procure himself a meeting with every mob boss head in the city and let them know he's a mercenary available for hire who specializes in bat killing again basically lying basically lying from the get-go and i just want to know like this the score did it sound like a pool filter to you when you first saw it? To me, like I sound <laughs> it didn't like register like that I was just me. by the pool. And I don't have a pool. I never had a pool, but I was like, when, you know, when I slept by the pool or was reading a book, it sounded like that. <laughs> I, I, you don't get no. That tapped into your psyche somewhere. That, was, it that didn't sounded happen. like something that actually like you have a memory repressed. It was there. such a strange contrast to the loudness of the special effects of this movie. Those my point that I had. Michael, did a pool filter hurt you as a child? <laughs> no, but I'm afraid it might in the future. Let's just say that. That's a long-winded point. Ridiculous point. Preying on their insecurities and the fact that new Gotham DA Harvey Dent has made putting each of them in jail and in front of a judge to pay for their sins, they agree to hire Joker, all these criminal heads, in exchange for half of their collective fortunes, so the Clown Prince makes it his business to expose Gotham's greatest heroes as people who are just as baseless and selfishly depraved as he and when their backs are against the wall. And it's crazy to me how he tortures... Not just the, you know, the structures in the government, but also the criminal structures as well, which we're going to talk more about. The Joker tortures the citizens of Gotham here. This is good copy. Under the threat of murder, basically saying that it all stops if Batman just unmasks to reveal himself. Joker either kills characters like the judge and the former commissioner, or he threatens to kill characters like the crime families in jail, or Commissioner Gordon, or the mayor, uh, even Harvey Dent. He's just on a murder spree for sure and he's going to do this until batman reveals himself now dent and bruce wayne come up with a plan on the fly essentially dent reveals himself as batman in order to draw the joker out and batman bruce wayne in the you know the media there audience he goes along with it something that rachel dawes gives him a lot of shit for later on which made made good sense to me that really worked for oh, me this man, time i know but it, she was good in that scene <laughs> and while the plan works initially it, act, it actually reveals a few things to the joker about these heroes you know dent isn't batman number one because joker admits later on that he thought he might be and the joker sees the lengths that Batman and Dent will go, the lies they're willing to mm -hmm. tell in order to help Gotham here. So 
he really just wants to like expose everyone that you're just like me, right? That's kind of like his whole thing. Everybody is really just a, for lack of a better word, freak on the inside. He just wants to connect, right? <laughs> right. He just, he the just man wants just to... wants to connect with people. Uh, yeah. I no, mean, in gonna... some twisted way, that's like he just wants to have a, a common ground for being seen as a freak his whole life. I, I do agree with that. It's simplified, but it's it's right on. Right. It's, it's right on. Uh, so he does come up with a new two-part plan after this bigger plan is foiled, after that legendary chase scene. Uh, he'll break Gotham's hero spirits and force them to become so enraged with the Joker that they'll break their own established rules of good, exposing themselves to the Gotham people as frauds. To do this, he put both Dent and Batman in an impossible situation over the death of the woman Joker knows now they both love in Rachel Dawes. This, along with some not-so-subtle pushing towards madness, works on Dent. He goes full Two-Face yeah. before the movie is over. Batman, however, was resolved that there is still good in the world, and though pushed, stays within his faculties, leading to prong number two of Joker's plan. Yeah, he'll paralyze the city with fear and basically shut it down, leaving only the option of a ferry boat. I can't believe the citizens of Gotham fell for this, you know, hook, line, and sinker. This but... is the the 21 Bridges plot that you think is so unbelievable. It is unbelievable! <laughs> they didn't shut down New York City after 9-11. Of course it's unbelievable. Everything was still going in and out. It's just, uh... I mean, do you, do you have any credit to maybe he was leading such a mayhem-induced string of violence that they all bought it hook, line, and sinker, like you said? Look, I guess if you're going to be scared of, of somebody, be scared of the Joker. And <laughs> I guess if he makes a threat, you have to honor it. I get all that, but it's, it's still kind of unrealistic. But the Joker here is going to unleash his final game on a ferry full of civilians and a ferry full of crime family criminals or all those criminals that Gotham is trying to relocate so that the Joker doesn't absorb them into his family after they're afraid. I guess he'll release them here. So the civilians hold the detonator for the criminal's boat, vice versa. Either of them can choose to blow it up at any time. Mike, is there a more white-knuckling game of death that Jigsaw would be proud of than this? In real life, one of those boats absolutely blows up the other one. No question <laughs> whatsoever. I don't know if the criminals jump first or it's the civilians who jump first. I have no faith in human nature here, Mike. At all, and I agree with so, you 100%. In that vein, with that in mind, because it's a movie, we need a happy ending, and Batman needs to beat the Joker, I understand. But with that in mind, doesn't that make this the most evil deed? Because in reality, it would work. It's so evil on many levels. It wor It does work in, in many ways, even though the, the, the biggest of the plans doesn't work. But uh, some of his plans before that, like, I mean... Oh, yeah, he gets victories, like you said. Absolutely. Rachel dies, and that paradox was truly a paradox. Batman could not save both characters like we'd seen in previous and Batman films. That, Joker lies to him. Yeah. Joker gives him the tw he twists where each one of where Rachel and Harvey Dent are being held, forcing Batman to reveal his true colors, but taking away the thing most important to him anyway. And he basically forces Batman to break so many other yes. laws. Yes. Never mind the, the his one rule, but all of his other rules go to hell. That whole surveillance is just apocalyptically prophetic to the nines. It scares the hell out of me watching this. Sure, night. absolutely, and that's a great point. That uh, my lord, never mind the Freedom of Information Act, but where we are now as a society with Big Brother always oh. watching and people needing to put tape over their cameras on their laptops so they're not being spied on. Huh. 
Prophetic is a good way to put that. Yes, I agree. And he's got that last wild card in Harvey Dent who he unleashes on everybody, Mike. This is the whole point of the movie and Joker's biggest win in this movie. The fact that he turns what Christopher Nolan has characterized as the protagonist of this film, Harvey Dent, which I was shocked to learn. Like, it just was an epiphany for me. It's like, yeah, I guess he is. Because he changes the most. He goes from the White Knight to the... Well, the, to a villain, and, and I wanted to say the Dark Knight, but that would have been inaccurate. But Harvey Dent changes the most. <laughs> well, kind and- of. He did lie about that. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And look, Joker was up against the odds, right? right? Like, he needed a completely evil plan to take down not one, but two white knight, truer-than-true, justice-seeking good guys. And he knows the more dangerous of them is Harvey Dent. Sure. To, so, hit, to his you, lifestyle, yeah. Because yeah, you cannot legalize, essentially, what Batman is doing. Otherwise, they're all toast. Mm-hmm. And these conventions are going to win, win out forevermore. And so the Joker needs to, you know, inject all of this anarchy at just chaotic levels, if I can use more of the vocabulary here, uh, to the point where he's going to get his W's. Even if he doesn't win the final death game, he does win with with Harvey Dent. And this movie ends in tragedy, which is why it's one of my favorite movies of all time, because you would not expect that. Yeah, you would expect that in a second movie of a trilogy. You would not expect that of a billion-dollar movie supposed to be the greatest superhero story ever. I was so shocked by this. When, when Batman and Commissioner Gordon decide to basically lie to the public, to do wrong, and, and a wrong that they're going to have to reckon with at the beginning of the third movie it would have been so much better with the joker even though i like bane but mike this was just very sad at the end of it yeah batman says to gordon you need to paint me as the criminal say i did all the awful things that dent did that's okay because this city needs and i thought it was hokey when the first time i saw this movie i thought it was a hokey message and kind of a cheap way to end on it but Nolan does a terrific job of establishing this is the most corrupt city in the history of the world. Like, this city is run by criminals. Crime is rampant. He does the great B and C storylines of multiple times saying how there's people in Dent's office who are already bought. There's people in Gordon's, uh, the PD, who are already bought by various bad guys, whether it's Falcone or whether it's the Joker or whether Mm -hmm. it's whoever. So I thought, yeah, looking at it now and seeing the state of current political enterprises in this country, political corruption... And being bought and being bribed and being able to be bought is like one of the worst case scenarios you can have to run a functioning government. You add terrorism to that fact. Right. And, and the primal threats that Joker is making towards their loved ones, et cetera, et cetera. It is the most evil of deeds we've come across thus far in this series. Without question. And it makes Maybe Batman's ever. sacrifice that much more heroin. Like, it's a big deal that he's going to be hunted, but... I don't know he had a choice, did he? Can you imagine a world in which they let Two-Face get away with being Two-Face and just say, blame Two-Face, Harvey Dent went bad? You know that's the right thing to do, though. You know that ethically, you sure. ethically just estimate the public differently and, and just give them the whole story and tell them the truth. I mean, they're basically treating the public like children here. Like, they have to lie to the children and give them a whatever, the Santa Claus version. But the, what's the public's the threshold, version. too? They just went through this Joker experiment. They're like part of the said, trauma, yeah. If you say that Joker made Dent turn into Two-Face, Joker wins. 
Right? The public knows Joker wins. Mike, Joker wins regardless in this plot. That's yeah. the, the most fascinating thing to me. And you, you don't think that's going to be the case with the movie called The Dark Knight. You don't think that's going to be the case with the way you watch the ending the first few times. Rewatching it now, there's no question in my mind, Joker wins this movie. Take the K off the title. It was a dark night for Gotham because you're right. They don't, yeah, they don't, the good does not prevail. The good needs to lie and sell a story to make it seem like they won it all. And they up hold this status quo that wasn't working in the first place mm-hmm. that basically started this whole right. problem of escalation. So it makes sense to me that Nolan didn't make Batman the protagonist of this particular film because Batman didn't solve anything. He only basically stemmed the tide. Well, he was a pawn for the most part, yeah. right? I mean, he was he was what the Joker knew he had at his disposal. And the only way he could overcome this, because the Joker was playing such a radical game and was hidden so well, the Batman needs to make the city... He needs to play Big Brother. That's how he wins, is by horribly breaking a lot of ethical conversations and ethical standpoints. Morgan Freeman should have still walked out. The fact that you went there, man. You still don't work for this guy anymore. I do want to say, though, the only other thing, this doesn't go to Evil D, but it does go to Nolan, goes to Heath Ledger's performance. I've said multiple times in this podcast how I'm a sucker for that simple trope of just turning the camera upside down yeah. when the when the things are awesome. backward, backwards and going, you know, the world's been turned upside down to the characters. The final tete-a-tete between Batman and Joker yeah. where the camera is upside down to make it seem like Joker's standing up but he's really being hung by his ankles and having a a, a basically a value off with Batman about the people of Gotham. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, is that beautiful? It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah, the cinematography of this movie was just awesome. Agree. Uh, let's talk about some most memorable quotes and actions, obviously, with this Joker character. Most memorable quote or action. So the whole plot, the whole movie, the whole franchise and trilogy has turned out to be pretty damn memorable in movie lore, right? This whole movie. I mean, we could basically just give the answer of of this whole movie, every scene that Joker's in. There's no question about that. Uh, From the top, the first introduction of Joker, like I said, I already gave this away, but no, no, no. I'm supposed to kill the bus driver and then crash through the bank. Genius. Mike, I love the way he's waiting to get picked up in that van, like one shoulder's higher than the other. He's looking down. That is such a striking image, such a, a silhouette, a posture, that slight hunch. My God. Creepy. Every, every little thing in this movie. So even the way he escapes, he times it so perfectly that his bus happens to fall in line with a line of school buses who are dropping off children so you can't see anything. It, it harkens back to Zodiac stuff. Like <sighs> stuff that Zodiac was saying yeah. in that movie and in real life. My God. It's beautiful. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain. Harvey says this at dinner while discussing the merits of Gotham PD advocating for the Batman and mm-hmm. basically deputizing this masked vigilante. This was a phrase that was around, I think, but I think it's become way more used now since this movie. I don't know. I mean, do you think I'm wrong about that? Or that's just my take. You're definitely right about it. It, It's very sad that you have these tragic falls from grace and people that start off their careers in very promising ways that they get corrupted by politics. They get corrupted when they gain power and power corrupts. Absolutely. It stems off of that theme. I mean, these are principles that are timeless. And talk about prophetic. I mean, my Lord, in the age of social media where all our gods have horrible things they've said in the past... (laughs) (laughs) Good lord. Uh, If you're good at something, never do it for free. Yeah, this is my favorite scene, like I said. It's a big reveal of that first full Joker. I freaked the hell out. Oh my god, it's such a lie. And that that just makes the scene so much more juicier because he is doing it for free because he doesn't care about money. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to kill the Batman. I mean, and and then that magic trick... 
that was the WTF moment of the decade for me. Oh yeah, absolutely. The first time you see that, if your mouth didn't drop, I yelled oh, in the theater. I remember God. in New York City, I just like, ah, it's the craziest thing I ever seen. It's so <laughs> fucked up. It's so crazy. And it tells such a story about this guy and his motives and his mindset from just one action. Ah, ah, terrifying. Absolutely beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> you can see our mindsets there. <laughs> Every time he tells the lie about Juan, and this is, again, so indicative of this character. Want to know how I got these scars? Coming up with these demented stories that could not be true because you could have only gotten the scars one way, right? It's it's ingenious because the fact that you know he could be lying about any of them, he could be telling the truth about any of them, we don't know that fact. This is such a trope for villains where they give you that exposition at the beginning of the movie of how they were created mm-hmm. into the villain, and it's all bullshit, Poking Mike. fun at it, yeah. And it's just for the situation, for the time at hand. Satiring the trope. to get the reaction out of people. That is the scariest shit that he's willing to, to literally talk about it four times in this movie, even though he doesn't get to tell Batman. But Think about the, the things that are still... I mean, this movie came out over 10 years ago, and these quotes are still just as relevant and just as overused today. Not only the quote from Dent, want to know how I got these scars, why so serious, let's put a smile on that face. Uh, what he's saying, when Heath Ledger gets dark and uses the grumbly voice, I don't know if he's mimicking Batman's voice there. <laughs> I don't, I, that that thought just came to me, but maybe he is just trying to intimidate. Look at me. Look at me! When he gets that deep, graspy grumbling. Oh, The inconsistency of it all really is so striking. The, the fact that he's just throughout the film a chameleon and, and different in every scene to me it again it's a testament to this performance that it's just it's one of the best of all time never mind of a, of a superhero movie agree i absolutely agree i i posited the question is this the most well-earned acting oscar ever given out and it's so sad that this talent was taken from us collectively like, so yeah, soon this wasn't a posthumous oscar that was just given out absolutely not no way because you can't beat a dead guy who's so beloved no this is as earned an oscar as i've ever seen you can't even i mean do we have the mcu as successful as it is without this portrayal you do not like does that glass ceiling was broken by this performance then logan gets the the screenplay nominee, then Black Panther gets the best. I mean, yes, we've had incremental step-ups, but this shattered any kind of glass ceiling as to what a comic book movie could do. It legitimized the comic book movie industry, in my opinion. Mm, I agree. Now, does this genre still have work to do at the Academy Awards? Yeah, I think Uh, it does. And and this movie's another example of that. I think this was the best movie of that year. I think this should have won Best Picture, hands down. Well, it already changed the Academy in so many ways, if you think about it. I mean, not only with this award, not only rewarding a comic book movie, but what happened to the Best Picture category immediately after this year? Because this movie wasn't nominated. Because of the outcry it turned, it Yes, it did. They expand the Best Picture category to now going the first time, 10 nominees, to include movies like The Dark Knight. And the obvious thing to say about the casting is that I think every single actor, actress, movie star, you know, after this movie, Mike, they see The Dark Knight making a billion dollars. They see it, you know, getting nominated for awards. They see that the critics love them. It's a success, a resounding success in all three of those areas. So why wouldn't they want a franchise of their own? And then you get all the A-listers Great basically points. being tabbed for superhero movies yeah. from this point on. Because before that, you were having to discover characters, like in Hugh Jackman's case for yeah. X-Men. Or even, like, Christian Bale wasn't the big movie star no. that he is. 
is now when they picked them. For, I mean, these are not unknowns, but these were not established stars, let's say. Even Robert Downey Jr. was on the downswing of his career when he signed on for Iron Man. Now you get the your pick of the list. Yeah, that's it's a absolutely fantastic point and probably have both, I would say, though all the triumvirate of Heath, Nolan, and like you said, Christian Bale to thank for all of that, certainly, in their performances they put forward here. Anytime Heath, the pitch in his voice went up, mm. starting tonight, people will die. I'm a man of my word. Mm. And then, well, hello, beautiful. Little fight in you. I like that. Ah, uh, oh, creepy. Creepy. I love that whole <laughs> crashing of the party there. What he does with the champagne glass when he swirls it. You know, the champagne out of and the there's glass. there's nothing in it, yeah. And then he uh, drinks, and he's eating, like, the shrimp cocktail or whatever he's eating. He eats oh my God. in such a disturbing way. Yeah. I wonder... He's gross. The way you talk about his lips and having to keep the yellow prosthetics teeth. on, Ugh. I wonder if he was eating in that way, because if he chewed normally, it would have the prosthetics would have fallen off. Well, they did say, like, if he used facial expressions that were too big, the prosthetics did fall off. Think about he, that. Yeah. He, he couldn't use big facial expressions, and he still, as this memorable as a character, without being able to have over-the-top reactions like that. It's amazing. And Gary Oldman's great in this movie, but he's also great in The Darkest Hour because he can't use the bottom half of his face. And, you know, for the same reason. You know, we kind of underestimate that performance, too. I I agree. (laughs) As far as memorable moments, that chase scene, legendary. Maybe my favorite scene of the entire movie. It still gives me goosebumps, Mike. It's incredible. The iconic nature of that game of chicken is there a better scene in the last 10 years? There's so much buildup to that scene. Uh, we talked about how he's got to talk himself into it. He's willing to die. And why yeah. does he want to die? Because it would totally undo Batman's character in Standing in Gotham. Hit he me. knows it would turn him into a criminal, turn Batman into a criminal. He would have to be arrested. It would shatter the spirit of Gotham. Oh my good God. And then how does it end? It ends in the reveal of Gary Oldman. But my favorite, <laughs> my absolute favorite part of the scene is when the Joker's like, could you just give me a minute? <laughs> That's so hilarious. Because he's like taking a knife to Batman's mask agree agree I, uh, even in the darkest moments he's still bringing out comedy for both his benefit God. and honors in a way the small touches the truck that he comes out of first of all why is there a carnival going through gotham that's ridiculous <laughs> yeah. but laughter is the best medicine uh, putting paint spray painting the s on it slaughter is the best medicine very good it's okay. badass to the way he's like hanging out of oh yeah truck. Oh. everything i mean hanging out of the cop car my god that's turned into an actual painting Mm. That's literally a piece of art now, the way he's hanging mm. out of the cop car like a dog. What a gift, too, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah agree. <laughs> I don't want to kill you. The whole explanation to Batman there, what would I do without you? Go back to just ripping off mod dealers. You complete me. It's like the worst version of Jerry Maguire ever. This was at the height of Jerry Maguire <laughs> love, though, right? I mean, that, that's so funny. Uh, he does say killing is making a choice, choosing between one life or another. That laugh, my God. And that whole interrogation scene, it, it sticks out to me, and I take it a different way. I mean, he's saying you have nothing to threaten me with all your strength. Is there a better shit-talking scene in the history of cinema where he's like, you can't beat me. You're going to lose. Jesus Christ. Save one of your two friends, and I'm going to tell you to different places where, they, where you got to go together. I'm going to lie to you about it. Oh, he's so, what a bastard. And then highlighted in that... All right. I already talked about how he's shit-talking. <laughs> Do you want to know which one of your friends are cowards? Is this the greatest... Back to back to back, set piece to set piece to set piece flow in cinema history. Going I, I from the chase to the is. interrogation to the saving of Harvey Dent over Maggie Gyllenhaal. 
I can't remember anything better. I'll be honest. With you. I mean, in terms of action movie goods, in terms of yeah, the great drama goods. I mean, those sequences and on top of each other. Performances in them, the little practical things. I oh. remember just like after that happened in my first watch, I was like, I can't believe this movie is this good. Because I can't chase, believe the it. The chase scene is so iconic, and then you have. It's not even an action set piece, but the interrogation set piece tells you so much more about what happened and what is to come in this movie and about these characters. It did. It got better and better and better and crazier and crazier and crazier. Mike, this was perhaps the most memorable movie that I can recall in terms of going to the theaters because of the for these reasons. I would agree. I would I would agree wholeheartedly. I mean, I can't think of a movie that I saw 10 years ago that rivals as much as I remembered from this movie and also that I still want to rewatch again. Yeah, you know, I mean, maybe Austin Powers. Other than that, <laughs> yeah, Austin Powers. That's that's the company line. Good. There's obviously more <laughs> more famous uh, quotes from this movie that we all know. Nobody panics when things go according to plan, even if the plan is horrifying. If tomorrow I tell the press that like a, I'm gonna gangbanger will get shot or a truck full of soldiers will die, nobody blinks an eye. But if you tell one little mare, everybody loses their minds. Mike, this scene is electric, and this movie Pushing starts dent off the edge. Oh, yeah, this movie starts going for different goods it just gave us all those action movie goods now it's just given us this bizarre scene with a terrifying like i was i remember being afraid of harvey dent like do i want to see his face i don't want to see it it's gonna be scary the way he screamed freaked me the hell out yeah i agree i love the uh, rachel i love the way he did that and i love the way that we didn't get just you know the screams of agony it just played you know get the you know the pool filter instead Mm. but (laughs) it was so good but all that happens right and it scares the shit out of us and yet, the way that scene begins is Joker taking off his mask and just going, ha. <laughs> so contrite and so, like, apologetic. Whoops. Like, look, maybe things got a little out of control. He's, he's hilarious in this movie. Uh, obviously, the big ending with Batman, not only the beginning of expo- expecting the two fairies to blow each other up, and here we go. And that's, yeah, that's probably the greatest gif on Twitter that we use the most, no question about it. I have a friend who, in law school, used that at the beginning of every final he took. He would post that to his Facebook. Yeah, because you have to. And we basically use it at every award show. Yes. So does everybody else, yes. right? When they're starting, we have to. We just have to. It's a, we grew up in this era, and we have to. And then Joker revealing his cards to Batman, even though admitting, oh, you truly are incorruptible, aren't you? You won't kill me out of some misplaced self- sense of self-righteousness, and I won't kill you because you're too much fun. What a great speech, Mike. The unstoppable force versus mm-hmm. the immovable immo- object speech speech here this it's just it leaves an indelible impression on you and it's it's so awesome and for a comic book movie it's fitting too in this scene and you think he's admitting defeat and then he says like well wait i still won right like you you didn't think i would leave (laughs) i'd risk the battle for gotham's soul in a fist fight with you did you you always have to have an ace in the hole. I'm the Joker. Of course, I have playing card references. <laughs> Explaining away the obvious objection here, too. And you think, like, all right, did, did the Joker just really get thwarted fully? Absolutely not. It's awesome. God, what a performance. What a movie. Uh, let's rank it on a scale of the very scientific scale of one to Joker. And finally, on a scale of one to Joker, how Joker was he? All right, Michael, on a scale of one to Joker, how Joker was this Joker? Joker. Yeah, this is Joker. This is my Joker. This is your Joker. This is our Joker. Joaquin Phoenix, you have so much to live up to. How do you live up to this? Jared Leto, how do you live up to this? 
This is Joker. This is just forever going to be remembered in cinematic history as the Joker. I think you just saying, get Jared Leto, you have a lot to live up. I think that might have been the funniest line you delivered. Everyone just laughed hearing that <laughs> as if those two compare. Uh, I only seen it the once. I've never seen the whole Suicide Squad. I'll tell you that. So this is going to be my first experience going into it. I cannot imagine mm -hmm. it holds water to this performance because this is legendary. I've been on record and I've said repeatedly when I think of Joker, if you tell me think of a Joker, Mark Hamill will come up. And that's true. But my most enjoyable and the most... The uh, best joke. Yeah, the best with a bullet. Sorry, Jack. Apologies to Jack. I, I, I think it's this. Look, I ranked him Joker as well because I grew up on that Joker sure. in particular. And I, I also love the Mark Hamill's Joker. We love so many of them, Mike. But this is the one that stands out at the end of the day. And wow, does Joaquin Phoenix so have a, a mountain to climb here. So we're going to be skeptical and we're hoping to be rewarded with this rewatch. Who knows? And a lot of controversy is already being attached to that Joaquin Phoenix yeah, uh, movie. And uh, we saw it coming. We've commented on it in a, in a couple of MMO weeklies, a couple of Oscar race checkpoints, and we'll be commenting on it when we do cover the movie to see. And yep. Oh, boy. This certainly didn't have that kind of controversy attached to it. Is that going to impact how we view the movie, the Joker movie? We'll see. That'll be coming up. But my, oh, my, what a performance. If you have not seen The Dark Knight in a couple years, I think it's about time you go back and give it another look and just clear your schedule. Take three hours to yourself and just... If you're a movie lover, just relish in every second that this thing has to give you. It still holds up. It is a masterpiece. Masterpiece. Absolute modern-day masterpiece. Obviously, guys, as always, want to know your thoughts, hear your comments, questions, concerns. Is this your Joker? Is this the best performance of Joker? Have we swayed you one way or the other? Is there something we're forgetting to comment on? Something that we kind of poo-pooed? Something we weren't very high on that you think is worth merit and worth mentioning more so? We want to hear your whole, thoughts about that. We could do a whole series on this movie alone, we? we? chose specifically to try to not delve into this movie. Right, the rest of the movie. Right, because we want to hold it off in case we have to review the Batman in a couple years right. and the, the, the Batman, Robert Pattinson's portrayal of the Batman. And the Batman character study. <laughs> I'll be here all week. Uh, so if that comes up, we need to do a Batman rewatch. We'll be getting back to the Dark Knight, but lucky for us, this movie has so much within it that... There's plenty else to comment on. I love Christian Bale's character. Absolutely. This, and there's so much to delve into there. You're absolutely right. Ugh. But we do want to hear your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about this episode and anything else we have covered in the MMO Empire. You can reach out to us and leave us those at always at Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Did I say at always? I said at always. As always is what I meant, but you can do that <laughs> at Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including and especially Apple Podcasts. And if you use Apple Podcasts, if you use iTunes, or if you just happen to own it, iPhone or know someone who does if you can have them just click or tap on the podcast app that little purple square with the white uh, bat signal sticking up on top <laughs> of it uh, tap on that go in the lower right hand corner to search type in Mike Mike and Oscar and submit tap on our logo if you scroll down once you'll be able to see the opportunity to leave us a five star review that would be very very helpful it helps thank us. you for that otherwise Michael What's coming up from MMO, and what are some words of wisdom from this classic Joker portrayal? So a lot more Joker stuff. We got the Jared Leto episode coming up early next week. We are going to sink our teeth into Joaquin Phoenix's Joker for one, two, ten episodes. We have no idea. <laughs> we, 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 it's on the schedule right now, the end of next week. If we have to study it a bunch, I, I want to leave the option open that we may kick it to the following sure. week. We got Judy to review as an Oscar sprint profile. We both want to do that, but that might be coming after this Joker thing wraps up. 
Oscar race checkpoint. You can tell oh. where, our, where our priorities are. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. I mean, yeah, of course. We did a whole rewatch series. We got to do that first. And we, but we're really excited about Renee Zellweger's Joker. I may see that this weekend just to get ahead a on it a little we're bit. We're not going to do a Wizard of Oz rewatch series? We should. Oz, Return to Oz. Oh, What's no. the Michael Jackson No, we shouldn't. One? What's the, the, the one where they sang? The Wiz? The oh, Wiz. We, we yeah. could. Uh, Actually, we could. That's uh, kind of interesting. I hear the books are decent, too. I mean, they, they kind of make Wicked into a feature film at some what point. What is a as well. book? Yeah, you need a lot of things. <laughs> All right, we're going to switch Oscar Ace Checkpoint and MMOW in terms of their time slots. Yeah, we the, said it was coming. Yeah, and we're going to do that this week by not doing an MMOW this week. We're sorry. We just had too much to do. But we're doing it because we want to get the Oscar Ace Checkpoint episode into that earlier time slot. You like both episodes almost equally, it seems. Yeah. So, We'll put that into like the Monday, Tuesday time slot and we'll bump the MMOW into the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday time slot. One of those, you know, whatever days. We're not consistent enough to promise you exact times because <laughs> just the way life is. Yeah. But that's in general what's going to be happening. You'll get an Oscar race checkpoint earlier in the week with a uh, MMOW later in the week. I think that's going to work out, like you said in, in the past, Mike. We're able to preview upcoming movies of the weekend yeah. with MMOW at the end of the week. And we're the able hope. to review award shows when those start happening soon and nominations. Those typically happen over the weekend. So th- this should work out. As for wisdom, I'll keep that short. The one thing I kept short today. And that's watch this movie. It's still yes, great. Please, it's still great. please, if you claim to like movies, please watch this movie. Uh, and, and like Mike said, MMOW and Oscar Race Checkpoint, big swap. But that's because award season is right around the corner. It's here. And I guess we're going to officially kick it off with our review of Joker after we get through with the Jared Leto performance. So, guys, as always, when reality sucks, you can come watch any kind of Joker portrayal with us. <laughs> we are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year round without the stuffiness. And we will see you soon. See you. Ah, ah, ah. Ah, ah.